everybody. Welcome to Humane Voices, the official podcast of the Humane Society of the United States. I'm Carrie, and I'm here with my colleague, Kelly. Um, we are going to discuss today some of the worst laws for animals in the country. I was tempted to see if we could get some sort of sound effect here and have that law and order dong dong as, as a sort of piece throughout here as we talk to our special guest. Um, state laws, uh, many of you may know, are really different when you go from one place to the to the next. I mean, you can just look at income tax and sales and sales tax laws, but you know, along with things like that, you have incredible variety across the country um, in what kind of laws are out there protecting or quite the opposite, not protecting animals. And today we've got a real expert to discuss some of those state laws. Our senior director of policy at the Humane Society of the United States, Andy Burnett, thank you so much for being here. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for being on here. And Carrie, welcome back. It's been uh, Chad filled your shoes uh, adequately. Good to have you back. <laughs> Adequately. Adequately. <laughs> I hope Chad is listening. <laughs> I have to break in. Adequately? <laughs> Son of a gun. <laughs> Go away, Did I say adequately? I meant beautifully. I think that's what I meant. Um, no, Andy, I'm really excited you're here. I, I think like you, I, I do love to talk policy and shops. So uh, you've been doing this for, I think, a really long time. How long have you been working on policy for animals? Uh, roughly about 20 years I have, and it's almost all at the state level. So it's been, has been a while. <laughs> so you're about 20 years old now, right, Andy? Right, that, exactly. Right? I'm dating <laughs> myself. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. What are, so in that time frame? I mean, two decades we're talking mm -hmm. and, and there's been, I'm sure just tremendous change. Uh, a lot of things happen in the movement. What are some, some things when you look back on the past 20 years that you've seen that have changed? Um, a lot. I mean, it's a complete new world. I I, I always think about that. Um, the, there's like a famous quote about kind of making uh, progress in social movements that first they ignore you, and then they make fun of you, and then they fear you, and then they accept you. And I think where we are is in between fear and acceptance. Um, I think 20 years ago, we were maybe between ignore and make fun of. Mm. Um, so I think that. Um, our movement has definitely made strides in the policy world, both at the federal, local, international, and state level. Um, mm. So I think a, like a big part of our discussion today is going to talk about um, the ramifications of being feared. It's a good thing. It means we're making progress, but it also um, is something we have to be aware of. And we really focus a lot of time so that we don't go back in some of these laws. So you think on the, on the fear front, do you think that the fear is just because they suddenly recognize that we can win some of this stuff? Is that yes. what the fear is about? Yeah. I think so. Yeah. I mean, fear by our opponents, feel, fear from, you know, industries that abuse animals. And yeah. I think, well, we've definitely proven that we can make change, um, particularly, you know, with our farm animal ballot measures, with a Supreme Court case, we, mm -hmm. you know, as a result of our movement's work, we're really transforming um, the factory farming industry. And that's definitely the pork producers clearly are afraid. Mm -hmm. um, and I think we're seeing that from a number of abusive industries as a result of our work. And in that work, Andy, so I think we often think about, you know, you're trying to get bills passed or things, uh, legislation that becomes law. I mean, is that generally what you're trying to do when we talk about policy and making um, gains for animals? Yes, definitely. We work and our, it, we have a state affairs department that works at the state and we work at the local level as well, trying to pass laws um, targeting, again, abusive practices. So and have been very successful at a lot of that. And 
I think we're seeing it's very hard. It's more and more difficult to get anything done in Congress. And mm-hmm. so I think a lot of um, action is happening at the state level. Um, hopefully we'll continue to be able to work at the state level and it won't get so partisan and divided and dysfunctional as mm-hmm. the federal level, um, or maybe actually I should say, hopefully the federal level in, improves a little bit, but um, it's a little easier to get things done at the state level than it is at the federal level. And is it offense, defense? I mean, what are what are we mostly doing? Trying to run good bills or are we fighting back things or? It, it's both. I, I mean, I would make a rough guess that it's probably 50-50 at this point wow. that we're spending about half of our energy with proactive good bills and half of our energy um, defeating harmful efforts, which sometimes are um, attempts to repeal current law that, um, mm-hmm. for example, Oklahoma... Uh, they passed a ban on cockfighting in 2002, and this year, in 2023, 21 years later. God, amazing. They, there's a bill. Two decades a, later, incredible. Two decades later, where they're still, they're, the legislature is still um, trying to pass legislation that would reverse that. We were fortunate to kill that this year, but anticipated to come back next year, so there's that. There's. So do you have to be mindful then, so when you know a, a good law is passed, you have to then continue to, you can't just check it off the list, move on to the next thing. You have to keep monitoring. It sounds like in this case, Oklahoma, 21 years later, they came back and said, not so fast. Yes, definitely. Um, without a doubt, we are always defending the laws that we passed. I mean, there are laws on wildlife and trapping that were passed in the 90s in states like Oregon and Washington that we're still defending in the legislature against, you know, I feel like... Um, it's a great win, but it's, you're definitely right that it isn't just like box check, move on. So it is something that you have to continually fight for. So Andy, I mean, I'm curious, I don't know if you can speak to this, but what what happens in a case like what we're seeing in Oklahoma, where, you know, this thing passed back in 2002, and then like 21 years later, you see it crop up again. Like, what are the, the proponents of cockfighting out there doing in those two decades? Are they sort of just biding their time, like, you know, doing, doing a Mr. Burns in the background <laughs> as they sort of plan for how they're going to get this back up? Like, it's, it's pretty shocking to me that such a sort of... Um, contemptible industry is has the sort of groundswell to actually, you know, mount a comeback on this thing. Yeah. They they've actually introduced a bill, I think, almost every year. So it wow. isn't just this year. So it's same with the wildlife defensive. It's every year. So it isn't they're they're not laying low and coming back. They're coming back right after right. So you have to right fight after, it every year. Every year, yes. Wow. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah, it is. And is that true of a lot of issues? I mean, cockfighting, I assume a lot of wildlife issues um, are, are are on, you know, we're threatened. We do a lot of defensive work on the on trophy hunting and wildlife issues. I think the cockfighting issue is a little unique to Oklahoma at this point, but we're hearing mm-hmm. rumblings that other states could potentially try to repeal their, their bans. Um, so, you know, we'll Does see. Does that happen? Is it like a whack-a-mole? Like, you know, over here they tried it. Maybe they're going to try it over yeah. here. Hmm. I right. think but that, with no actual moles being whacked, just to be clear, we are opposed right. to mole whacking at this Thank organization. You. Yes. Okay. Yes. yes. <laughs> Disclaimer, HSUS does not support. No mole yeah. whacking. Yeah. No. Um, I think that there is the thought that if one state were to be successful at doing it, it could lead to other mm. states thinking they could be successful. So it's really important that we continue to defeat these efforts in Oklahoma so that there isn't, like you said, a groundswell for opponents that... Um, try to do it in other states. Mm. 
So who's out like who's out defending cockfighting at this point? I'm dying to know. I mean, is it is it just the fighters? Is it some sort of I mean, it's it's hard for me to imagine that there's this is an incredibly like this is this is not a billion dollar industry, I assume, that's got that kind of backing. But clearly it's being backed by someone. Yeah, I mean, it it is fairly organized. Mm -hmm. Um, They often um, are under the guise of being breeders for birds. But um, a lot of times their motivation is to to get back to fighting birds. Um, It's still, even though it's illegal everywhere in the United States, still happens. Um, They're still raiding cockfights where they're they're finding people doing this activity. It's, It's not very heavily enforced in a lot of the states where it's happening. The penalties are really low. Um, so it is still probably a very active underground activity in the United States, particularly in the South. Hmm, interesting. Yeah. And what about, Andy, I know on policy, you know, whether it's a state or federally or even locally working with ordinances, you've had a lot of experience in the ballot initiative process, which I know there's been some changes in that area, too. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. So we have our movement has been very successful at using the ballot process to to protect animals. And it's in and we typically would use it in a situation where we've tried in the legislature and the legislature has refused to um to do anything on an issue. And so then we take it, you know, directly to the people on the ballot. And um that's was the situation with the um the Supreme Court case with Prop 12 in California that was a ballot measure. Um we have found that that the the general process of using the ballot to make change is under attack. Um, one thing that has happened is in several states, they have the legislature has been able to make the requirements to pass a ballot initiative on wildlife stricter than the requirements for anything else. So this is what we're finding with some some things that are going on now where, I feel like our opponents have a hard time really defending what they're doing on the merits. It's hard to defend, you know, the way that, you know, pregnant pigs are treated in gestation crates. It's hard to defend the act of cockfighting. It's hard to defend shooting, you know, bear cubs, um, that kind of thing. So instead of trying to validate what they're doing on the merits, they attack the process, our ability Mm -hmm. to use the democratic Mm -hmm. process. And so we're finding, for example, the ballot process for wildlife They've targeted just wildlife. It doesn't apply. Some of these states where they require it has to pass by a supermajority or 60% versus just a simple majority only for wildlife issues um, where they're they're, they're um, treating animal issues different than every other issue. Um, mm. So, which of course is probably a result of fear because they know that, you know, we, we can be successful at the ballot process. So, um, and we're seeing that in other other forms of, you know, the democracy tools we use, passing local ordinances and things like that. Um, so it's it's concerning that they would, um, you know, cherry pick animal issues instead of um, having this apply to any issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really it's really scary thinking about how these sort of democratic tools get sort of taken back and forth, and you know, like as as the sort of parties shift back and forth with each election. You see different parties sort of going after process elements that then they're going to have to live with in the next series if someone else is is in control. When the continuous moving the goalpost. Yeah. You know, you had success here. This is what citizens wanted. And they encouraged the representatives to pass law. That does. They just keep moving the goalpost. And Mm -hmm. you mentioned, Andy, um, localities passing things and how the process is somewhat changed with that. Can you share a little bit about that? I think that. Probably when we talk about puppy mills, that's happened some. 
Sure. Um, I think oh, I'm, we we have, when I say we collectively, our movement, a lot of groups have passed well over 400 ordinances. So in counties and cities um, that prohibit pet stores from selling uh, puppies from puppy mills. And as a result, we have seen states pass laws that say localities cannot pass any regulation of pet stores. So is it there are some states that it's called preemption, where the state is preempting counties and cities from passing laws. Mm-hmm. And so we've seen some big general laws passed that restrict localities' ability to pass things. But we've seen in three states um, where the legislature has said localities can't pass anything on pet stores. So it's very targeted to just pet stores. I mean, it's clearly um, a response to our success at the local level on the pet store issue. And this is, um, we had a lot of bills in 2023 dealing with this issue and anticipate a lot in uh, 2024 on this preemption issue that um, is really concerning and really just a, a threat and an attack on, um, you know, cities and counties from from enacting what they want to enact. Is that a change? Because in the past, we used to think of in politics, most elected officials and, and many citizens thought, you know, local residents should determine what's in their best interest. Um, they knew what's best versus state versus federal. It seems like that's a throwback or I mean that there's been a shift there. Yes. I Yes, there has been. I mean, you know, probably five or six years ago, we were not dealing with this. So, I mean, it's mm-hmm. clearly a direct uh, response to our success at the local level. So this is not something that like with the Oklahoma situation where we've been dealing with it for, you know, 21 years. So it is, it's fairly new. Yeah. So we've talked about um, wildlife. We've talked about um, pet stores and puppy mills to a certain degree. How do these laws get get enacted in terms of or or dealt with in terms of um, how they impact farm animals? Because I know that farm animals are for us in terms of the actual numbers of animals that are impacted by human behavior. It, it's like farm farm animals are are one of the most afflicted groups out there. Right. On this issue, it's one of the most well-funded, powerful mm. um, opponents that we face in terms of abusive practices. And so just like with puppy mills, um, there are laws in uh, a handful of states that would, they're called right to farm laws. They vary in terms of what they do, but a lot of times they leave the regulation of agriculture, factory farms, treatment of farm animals to the state legislature only. So they would prevent a locality or a county from passing an ordinance or regulation on an agriculture issue. So that would include, um, you know, regulations on humane treatment of animals. Mm. Um, There's another trend that's been going on for about 10 years or so that we call ag-gag laws, which um, I don't know if you've discussed on the podcast before, but they um, essentially treat whistleblowers that um, are on it. associated with agriculture operations different from anything else. So it, yeah. it um, essentially like prevents any whistleblowing of cruelty on farms, which, um, you know, it doesn't apply when you see, you know, the undercover investigation of a childcare facility or product safety or consumer fraud, you know, it only applies to agriculture facilities. So again, it's, it's just cherry picking animal issues to reduce our ability to expose some of the cruelty that's going on um, with farm animals. Um, 
Yeah, the agag thing to me is I, I still am kind of flummoxed that, that that sort of thing even exists. It's always struck, you know, there's that that longstanding sort of sentiment in the animal welfare field that, you know, if slaughterhouses had windows, everybody would be vegetarian. Exactly. And so rather than actually provide those windows, they want to make sure that no one ever sees anything and that no one ever hears anything from in, inside the places that are really causing these animals to suffer. And shockingly, right. only, as Andy said, in those those particular industries. They're not doing this elsewhere. I mean, that's, you know, it's fascinating to me what you're saying that they're really isolating the animal movement and uh, laws and regulations around animals, you know, which I guess every probably social movement has had a backlash as they Mm. started to gain traction. I mean, I think historically in the States, we've seen this with other, you know, human rights issues, but uh, do you think that's what we're experiencing with the animal rights movement? I mean, on the one hand, it's it shows the success that's happening, mm-hmm. but there is a backlash, it feels like, from what you're sharing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the a lot of the abusive industries that we that we go after are very well funded, they're very powerful, and they're very unwilling to change what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And so this is their response. And like you said about slaughterhouses having glass windows, this is the literally uh, with these ag-ag laws, it's like preventing people from seeing what's going on. That's exactly what they're designed to do. Because again, they know the, the people abusing animals know that if people saw what was happening, there would be a huge response. So they're doing yeah. everything they can to prevent prevent us from knowing what's going on. Not even animal cruelty, but potentially public health. I mean, you know, people consume these animals. Exactly. You know. Yeah. yeah, it's like with this thing, it's like, not only are we not going to give you windows, but we're going to make sure that the people who are actually inside the house can't tell you what they've seen. Exactly. Yeah. Yes, it's really egregious. It's yeah. it's shocking. Yeah. What about on the same thing with farm animals that Carrie brought up? What about the backlash? You mentioned Prop 12 and mm-hmm. the gains that have happened with farm animals. I mean, what some of the I know there's um, apparently federally some backlash on that. I mean, what are you right. seeing? What are you fighting against there? Um, well, I don't know if you've discussed eats on the podcast. Um, I'm sure at some point you will, but there is a big effort um, in Congress uh, with the, the farm bill will be up next year. And um, there is an effort to pass a law that would essentially uh, restrict or prohibit states from passing laws related to the sale of agriculture products. So it would, there, there's a study that Harvard did that um they came up with about a thousand state laws that this would impact. Um, it's it's targeted towards uh, Prop 12 type measures, uh, the sale of eggs from that were uh, produced in battery cages. Um, I think that's that is the, essentially the target, mm-hmm. but the results would could impact um, a lot of laws. It's um, this is something that a campaign that we are actively working on um, to try to prevent this from passing. It's probably going to be a pretty long term campaign. Um, mm-hmm. And like I said, you know, our our opponents and those backing this are are well funded, are powerful, um, and this is in response to Prop 12 and other measures that uh, try to protect farm animals. Right, because this, I mean, this essentially is is trying to make a rule that states can't decide that they have standards for how animal product, the animals who are who are part of the, forgive me for the term, but the animals who, animal products who are animal, animals who are part of the food system, that they will decide that they can't make the choice of right. whether those animal products are allowed to be sold based on it. it it's really, it, it's yeah. pretty, it's a pretty sort of terrible backdoor around getting around the, the rules that Prop 12 established. Well, right, it's especially right. mind blowing when we hear so often again, the issue of 
you know, we don't want the feds, the federal government telling us what's in our best interest. That's, mm. you know, on both sides of the aisle somewhat, but that's a argument, you know, and the same with the local preemption, you were talking about states. It's if yeah. I live in Ohio and if we collectively decide as Ohioans, you know, we only want cage-free eggs here. We've overwhelmingly said this, you know, the feds can then step in and say, no, we, you can't right. determine what type of eggs are brought in or out, right? Is that on the ground yeah. kind of what the EATS Act would do? Yeah. Yep. Wow. Yeah. It seems like so, an overreach potentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, I mean, it's it a cl- classic thing where it's like people want the local government deciding when the local government agrees with them and they want the feds deciding when the feds agree with them. Right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, 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 and it's not a partisan thing really. Cause both, both, uh, both parties do this kind of stuff, but it is, it is particularly galling when it's being used to undermine such a sort of fundamental, sensible piece of, of legislation like prop 12 was. Right. And the EATS Act, again, like a lot of the other things, just targeting one industry. You know, it isn't about mm-hmm. um, it isn't about somebody, anything else. It's about one industry. So, again, it's targeting. Targeting basically the success of the animal protection movement to try to roll back some of the some of the measures we've passed to protect animals. Well, I think our, that's important for our listeners to know that because. You know, many of you all, uh, this isn't just HSUS, it's other groups and it's all the volunteers and the citizens that have fought, you know, successfully for years to get these protections on the books for animals. So I think we'll have listeners that uh, have been a part of that fight and want to make sure this piece of dangerous legislation, the ETEC, doesn't pass. What can folks do, Andy, that say, no, I don't I don't want this to to pass? Um, well, we have, um, if you go to humanesociety.org slash EATS Act, and it's E-A-T-S Act, um, there's an action on that page. This is a national effort. Um, we have a large coalition with a lot of animal groups, with consumer um, protection groups, public safety groups, um, even family farmers. It's a very broad coalition um, that we're really trying to um, get active and get the word out that this is a really bad piece of legislation. Right. And we hope our listeners will will join us in fighting back on this. And Andy, as we um, you know, start to close here, I'm I'm curious because it sounds like we're at this stage, as you said, where you know we've made a lot of gains. Um, and that has rattled some cages, pun intended, mm-hmm. uh, of our opponents that are fighting back. But what are you, as someone that's been in this movement, you've seen the ebb and flow, the you know, the two steps forward, step back. What are you hopeful for? What do you what do you see maybe in the next decade or two uh, as you continue this work? Well, I look forward to us getting from feared to accepted. Obviously, I would love to see that happen in my lifetime. Um, but I think um, I look forward to, uh, you know, the more we defeat these measures that target animals, that target the democratic process, I, I'm hopeful that the message will be sent to people advocating for these, that it's not going to work, you know, move on maybe think about just changing the way that you treat animals and sort of complying with some humane standards um, so that we're not still fighting over the process and we're moving ahead as as a country, as a movement, as a people um, for, for, for better, a better world for animals, a better world for people. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. It seems like as we hear that arc does bend towards justice, I mean, it, it seems like we're definitely headed there, um, you know, with more more work to be done for sure. But the more people yeah. we have joining us in this fight, I mean, policy 
I think it's important for people to know it's it's you working on it. It's our organizations, but it's everyday people that reach out yep. to their legislators that get involved. I mean, is that what you've seen, that it's really been a movement in the fullest sense of the word? Absolutely. And it's definitely for, for the decision makers who are making policy, it is much more impactful for them to hear from directly from their constituents um, than it is from anything else. So I encourage everyone listening to go to that link. Uh, reach out to your member of Congress, um, let them know you're a constituent and that you want them to oppose the EATS Act. That is the most impactful thing uh, that anyone can do. Andy, thank you so much for being here. This has been really great. Um, You know, I think a lot of the times, like when we think about sort of animal protection, I think a lot of people think about, you know, saving, saving puppies directly. And, and, but there's, there's so much about the work that you and your team and other folks who are involved in policy do that really sort of help us get at like the root cause of these issues and prevent them from ever happening in the first place. And so congratulations for your successes on that. Hope, hopefully they will, they will continue and we can get all, to, get all to a better place and for all the work that you've done to beat back the bad laws as well. Thank you so much for, for covering this and, and recognizing how important it is. Thank you. Thank you so much, listeners, for being here. Um, this has been Humane Voices, and we look forward to seeing you on the next episode. Andy Burnett, thank you so much for your sharing your expertise with us today. Mm-hmm.